And as we continue with your conversation, it is 18 minutes after one. My name is Wabungi Leganzelenzele, standing in for Pippa Hudson today. And um, every Monday, we look at one of the stories that Carl Blanche covered in their weekly Sunday program. And today, we turn uh, the focus on the problems at South African ports and how it's causing the country to lose millions in possible revenue. The story last night focused on how South Africa should be capitalizing on the crisis in the Red Sea, which has seen Yemen's Houthi rebels attacking commercial ships. It's resulted in many deciding to avoid the area and instead take the long journey around the tip of Africa. But when they get there, they confronted with long delays, which has resulted in them instead using ports in our neighboring countries. How can this be? To tell us more, we have Card Blanche producer Nikki Troll joining you on the line. Nikki, very good afternoon to you. Thank you once again for joining us on the show. Thank you, Abengile. Thank you for having me. Nikki, I'm sitting here uh, gobsmacked. My hand is on my chin. When I saw the story, I thought, surely, surely this cannot be. But let's start with what the crisis is in the Middle East that is sending these ships past the South African coast. What's the background here? And towards the middle of November, there was a an attack on a British-owned cargo ship. Uh, the Houthi rebels are from Yemen, and there is claim solidarity with Palestine, trying to force Western com- uh, countries to, to take a stronger stance against Israel and to call for a ceasefire. So they have started disrupting global trade routes along the Red Sea um, in an effort to make their point. And what they've done is they've really um, exposed the vulnerability of these choke points. Um, you know, a large most of the, the con- container traffic, the, the shipping routes from the east to the west, move through this strategic link in the Middle East. Um, and they, they, they claim to be to have backing from Iran in this, in this instance, and they have attacked at least 30 vessels since November. Um, the most dramatic was the one in, in November. They landed a chopper on a ship and they took it over. Um, so their goal is to cause damage and to disrupt, and so far it's working. And Nikki, when they get here, it's not smooth sailing, is it? Because in November last year, there were major issues at the port of Durban where some 80 vessels couldn't dock at all. Interesting one in South Africa where it's a combination of things. So the main thing that these diverted ships would be looking for is bunkering, offshore bunkering, which is refueling and restocking. Um, it saves them time because they won't be popping into the port because that's not a quick process. Um, and they're able to refuel while on anchor at sea. In South Africa, Goa Bay, we were offering that. Um, there were three companies with licenses to offer the service, but there is a moratorium on licenses being issued for bunkering. In September last year, there was an issue with tax and how these ships are being charged for they buy in South African waters. And SARS then put a ban on any bunkering offshore happening in South Africa. So we're unable to help the ships coming past. But the companies that have the licenses to offer or refueling can't do it because the ships have been seized and they're on anchor in Algoa Bay and there are no new entrants to the market because while it's a convenient way to refuel, it's also very controversial from an environmental perspective. Nikki, maybe I just want to understand this correctly. So because of SARS, there are ships out there 
that they've done nothing wrong. All they wanted was fuel, but now they're not allowed to leave South African waters because SARS is investigating. No, no, no the, the bunkering companies, oh, the bunkering. bunkering vessels have been seized. Not the ships getting the fuel, not the foreign companies. So we, Our South African companies... Yes, I'm listening. ...have been, have been seized. So they can't offer the service. Okay, now I'm with you. 22 minutes after one, if you've just tuned into the conversation, you're listening to the voice of uh, Carl Blanche producer Nikki Troll, who's talking to you about the story they covered last night that focused on how South Africa should be capitalizing on the crisis that's out in the Red Sea, which has seen Yemen's Houthi rebels attacking commercial ships. And that has resulted in many deciding to avoid the area and instead take the long journey around the tip of Africa. But the problem is, apparently, uh, South Africa, we are not taking full advantage of that and the reason for that is just that we are not prepared and we are not up to standard so that's a conversation now maybe it's one you'd like to join in on on 021 looking forward to hearing from you nikki the ports were struggling to cope even before there was an increased traffic i mean as some as i've mentioned earlier we're waiting for up to 12 days to dock that must be a costly wait so this is, this is the second element to our story. Like, even if we had the bunkering services, our ports are not prepared to take in the, the, the increased traffic coming around um, because our ports are in a dire state. Um, last year, the World Bank's uh, Container Port Performance Index ranked South Africa, uh, well, Durban particularly, and Port Elizabeth ports as amongst the top 30 most congested ports in the world, Durban Port was ranked 341st out of 348 ports globally as being the worst performing container ports. It's also important to make that distinction, but I'll explain more now. The reality is these ships are on anchor for days on end trying to get into our container ports. It costs 50,000 US dollars every day they sit at sea waiting to come in. And it can take up to 10, 12 days at a time. To get into port, to offload containers or to use a container terminal, and, and it's costing international companies huge amounts of money. But the one saving grace, I love the silver lining, we interviewed the managing director of Mediterranean Shipping, and he was, yes, it, it makes South Africa unattractive, but it doesn't mean that international companies won't come because they need us. South Africa is in a very strategic position for any traffic coming around Africa. Um, would it serve us better if our ports were at a, in a better state? Of course it would. Um, and he was very positive, very optimistic. Um, at the end of November last year, there was a shakeup in the management at Transnet. Portia Derby moved out. Michelle Phillips came in as the acting CEO. And they already feel that they've seen changes that, you know, in the last four years, there wasn't much investment in the maintenance or the upkeep of equipment in particularly the Durban port. And already they've got tugs on order, there's parts that are coming in, and there seems to be a real turnaround. We can only hope that there will be an actual turnaround. And I mean, talking about turns around or turning around things at the Devonport right there, uh, I know from your story you mentioned that each crane is processing around 13 containers an hour when it should, in fact, be processing around 20 and more an hour. So what's the status on the equipment upgrades? Are we looking to see any, any improvements? So you're absolutely right. The world standard is 20 and more an hour. The, the current state in, in Durban is half of that. 
Um, on the container terminals, like I explained, it had been maintenance issues and a lack of new equipment and investment. Those parts and upgrades are now in the pipeline and they have got parts on order. Um, the only snag is that these parts could take up to 18 months to arrive in the country. So that means secondhand parts, yeah, I hope to see the next year. And, you know, Australian shipping is, is optimistic about it. Uh, the, the line just went bad there. I don't know what, what was that last comment. I'd love to hear it because it sounded like, yeah. I was just saying that Mediterranean shipping is optimistic about it. They believe that they will see a turnaround in the next year and they deal with it every day. So we can only... Hmm. Because that was going to be my last question to you, Nikki. Then in summary, I mean, from you as as as, 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 as carte blanche, as you look at this situation, what's your take out of it? Uh, is Transnet confident that the upgrades will happen? Do you think they will happen? And, uh, you know, will we see the uh, situation improving at all? It's a guess. Um, you know, we've heard this before. Loading it in six. Um, so, you know, we, we hear these lines, although the proof is in the pudding. Um, we'd have to go back in a year and see if it's changed. We can only hope because it's unacceptable. Current status of our car on our knees and we're losing out on international revenue. We're letting it literally sail by and we're waving at them as they go because we can't cope. Nikki, thank you so very much for joining us. And I know that your line's been bad, but thank you so very much for joining us on the show. Nikki Troll, who is a producer for Card Blanche. What's your take on this? Uh, I mean, for, for many of us. As Nikki says, we've had the president promise and promise and promise. But when you listen, when you listen to the coverage, when you watch the coverage, do you believe that we could see things turning around at Transnet or is it a case of Aisugawen?